I'm Erica, and this is Story Sanctuary, a NICU healing space. I've been thinking a lot about the concept of a window of tolerance lately. I recently stumbled across this idea while doing some trauma reading and was fascinated by it. So we all have windows of tolerance, which is a zone where we're able to function most effectively. Our windows can widen when we do things like get the appropriate amount of sleep, exercise, meditate, eat well, etc. Basically, anything folks do when talking about self-care can widen your window of tolerance. Other things in life can narrow our window of tolerance. Trauma is a big one, but caffeine can, along with lack of sleep, illness, our environments. When we are outside of our window of tolerance, that is when we are in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode. Ideally, our window of tolerance is wide and we are able to process and receive information without much difficulty. An example of the window of tolerance is this. So perhaps you have a newborn child. Between their crying, your inability to take time alone, and the little amount of sleep, it's difficult for you to function without going into a trauma response mode or that fight, flight, freeze, fawn mode. So say your partner comes into the room and asks if you want a cup of coffee. You might because of all of those things that had narrowed your window of tolerance, scream and then go into fight mode. Of course I want a cup of coffee. Clearly I'm exhausted. Life events narrowed your window of tolerance so it was easy to get outside of it. On the other hand, if you had gotten sleep, time alone to recharge, and you were not facing constant sensory overload, the partner asking for that cup of coffee might have received a Sure, I am exhausted, response. Learning about and thinking about this window of tolerance took me back to the NICU, and it helped me see our stay in a new light. When your child is in the hospital, your window of tolerance shrinks. There are so many reasons why. Lack of sleep, heightened cortisol levels, infrequent eating, loneliness, etc., All of those suggestions the NICU staff and mental health professionals give during your critical care stay are meant to widen your window of tolerance. Go home and get some sleep. Or at my hospital, go take a walk around the track outdoors. So what happens when our window of tolerance is extremely narrow while inpatient? In fight mode, we may quickly go into arguing with the hospital staff. In flight mode, we may not come to visit the NICU very often. In freeze mode, we may sit at bedside but seem to be emotionless or unresponsive. In fawn mode, we may feel as if we need to please and appease all of those around us to make ourselves feel more safe. It's helpful to know your favorite trauma response so you can recognize it as it's happening or after it happens. It's also extremely important that hospital staff understand what it looks like for caregivers to be in trauma response modes or to see their window of tolerance shrinking or to see that their window of tolerance may just be narrow at the moment. I've been thinking a lot about windows of tolerance because once you learn to recognize what your mind and body feel like when you're inside your window and when you're outside of your window, and then we figure out ways to incorporate widening the window into our day, we can all work to be a bit more grounded and resilient in preparation for the storms that life will inevitably throw our way. If you're interested in learning more about the windows of tolerance, Google search it and look for an infographic. Personally, seeing it visually was a helpful way to further understand and solidify the concept.
Each episode of Story Sanctuary features a different family's birth and NICU story. And today, we're joined by Cynthia. Cynthia, where does your story begin? My story begins in about, I'll say December of 2018. I was getting married that February. So I was like, you know what? I need to stop birth control because I need to get pregnant. And I knew I had friends that had been trying for years. So I was like, I am going to get out birth control. And um, after our wedding, it's on. So got married in February and I bought all kinds of things. I bought this cleansing juices, pregnancy drinks. I bought basal temperatures and thermometer things. I got all kinds of stuff and it worked. I found out I was pregnant that very next month in March and I was so excited. Um, I will say from there, every time I went to the doctor, it was really rushed. I feel like they'd be like, how you doing? You're doing good. Okay. Pee in a cup. Okay. Thank you. Come back. I'm like, are they supposed to examine me or something? I'm like, okay, maybe as I get further along, they would do that. Um, so the only really sign that I had that anything could be possibly not normal was when I went for an ultrasound and they had a really hard time getting an image of my son, which makes sense. Now uh, they were saying he's super low, but that did not make them say, let's look into this. They just told me to come back. <laughs> that could have been a sign he was making his way out, but he was super, super low. And so I didn't think much of it. Occasionally I would feel a pain here or there and everybody was, yeah, it's normal. I actually called one time and said, you know, my baby does feel super low, like he's in my hip or something. And they really said that's growing pains. And if it's, you know, unbearable come in. And I never got to the point where I felt unbearable. So 25 weeks exactly on the day I woke up not feeling good. It was a Tuesday. I went to work that Monday and I told my husband, you go ahead and go to work. I normally take him to the train station. I said, you take yourself. I do not feel good. I'm just going to soak in the bathtub. And so he's like, okay. So I go in the bathtub. I'm laying down and I feel like, hmm, was there something I could take? I'm Googling stomach pain, food poisoning, possibly. I didn't know what was going on. And so I get out of the bathtub and my baby literally falls out of me. It was like, he was still connected by the umbilical cord, thank God. But of course I'm like, oh my God, I just had my baby. He's only 25 weeks. I grabbed my cell phone, called 911, pick the baby up, wrap him in a towel. And they tell me, you know, just keep his face out. And is he alive? I said, yeah, I can see his face. He's like, his little lips are like opening and closing, looking for air. So I wrap him in a towel. And I think I might've been in shock because they're like, are you bleeding? And I'm like, no. I looked down, I got blood all down my legs. So I just threw in a dress, had the baby, had my cell phone, grabbed my purse, walked downstairs super slow. Right when I opened the door, there was an ambulance, a sheriff, a paramedics, and they, you know, got me on the gurney. We got in the car and I had seen TV shows where they have like, I didn't know I was pregnant and stuff like that. And they usually put the baby in like a silver bag. So I'm asking them, do you guys have that silver bag? 
like, no. And then um, they tried to put an oxygen mask over the baby's face, but it was too big. It covered his whole face. So they were like, we're just going to do compressions until we get to a hospital. But we're only seven minutes from a hospital right by your house. And I didn't even know there was a hospital right by my house. I was like, there's a hospital by my house? Okay, seven minutes? Okay. So I'm like praying. We get to the hospital and there's a team of doctors, respiratory therapists, nurses, and immediately the doctor comes over, cuts the umbilical cord, grabs my son and hands him to the respiratory therapist who intubates him. And when he does that, he screams out, he's alive. He tried to suck my finger while I was putting the breathing tube down his throat. And everybody just cheered, including myself. We're like, Hallelujah! thank Jesus, you know? And at that point, they come over to me and they're like, man, we need to get the afterbirth out of you or this could be dangerous. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So they separate us. And um, at that point, they start asking me questions like, ma'am, did you know you were pregnant? I was like, yes, I knew I was pregnant. And I had just went to the doctor to do the genetic testing and that came back fine. And yes, I knew I was pregnant. And then they started to ask me questions about drugs oh, ma'am, have you taken any narcotics? And I said, now, 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 people. I was thinking, look at my teeth for crying out loud. Do I look like a drug addict? Come on now, people. I know I look horrible, but crackhead, no. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. These are just questions we have to ask. And I'm like, okay. So then they asked him, um, was there somebody they needed me to call? And I was like, yeah, my husband. You know, I said, he's probably still on the train to get to work. He takes a train to downtown LA. And so they're like, okay, we'll call, leave a message for him. And so um, I had the experience when I was like nine or 10 years old of watching a Roseanne. There's an episode of Roseanne where Darlene has a preemie. And uh, I remember like yesterday they're crying. I actually tried to find it on YouTube, but they're crying because um, Darlene's like, why did I have a preemie? Why did this happen to me? And um, that was the only time I've ever seen a NICU from an episode of Roseanne when I was a kid. My husband didn't see anything like that. So he calls his twin brother. He calls his mother, tells them to meet us at the hospital. Instead of coming immediately from his work to the hospital, he goes and picks up the baby's blanket that we had ordered for him. And so when he walks in, I had to tell him, babe, you're not going to be able to hold him. He's like, what do you mean? I said, the baby's like a pound, like super tiny and is going to be in like an intubator. He's like, what's an intubator? <laughs> like he didn't know anything. And so a social worker comes over and explains to us, you know, uh, mothers see their babies. Dads see the equipment. And I'm letting you know, it's going to be a hard experience for him. And so I didn't really get the chance to really cry because I had a whole audience, his mother, his twin. But they went and saw him and came back in tears even before I did. And um, they told us, you know, this is the honeymoon phase. And we're just going to, you know, pray our best that everything works out during the weekend. And so I saw him and I was like, go home. I just want to, you know, rest and be by myself. But we're fine. Go home. Go with your mother. Go with your brother. Go home. Before I could even lay down. They told me I have a visitor. I said, I have a visitor. Who in the heck came and visited me? One of my coworkers, bless her heart, just showed up at the hospital with Starbucks. And, and I was like, 
I can't even cry. That was so sweet of you. So she came and bought me Starbucks and she was like, oh, it's okay. She's a Latin girl. She's like, it's okay, child. Preemie's happy. It's going to be okay. I said, thank you. So we saw the baby and he was super tiny. And um, he was at a level three NICU. I was only seven minutes from my house. So I went home a few days later and uh, about that, that next week I came back and before I could even, you know, get comfortable, they were like, um, we're transferring the baby. Um, he has something called uh, possibly a PDA. And um, if he needs surgery, we don't do it at this hospital. He needs to be at a hospital that can really take care of him. And I'm like, okay, uh, when is this going to happen? They're like, they're on the way right now. I said, on the way right now, y'all couldn't call me at home, give me a heads up, like, where is this hospital? And then I Googled and I was like, oh, wait, Chop Children's of Orange County. Oh, this is a fancy hospital. It was like literally like the fanciest hospital I've ever seen. And they are the only hospital in the country that actually has a small baby unit for babies under four pounds. So I was like, okay, let's get the show on the road. Let's get out of here. <laughs> I was like, at first I was sad, but then I looked at the benefits like, oh, this is a good hospital. Not that they weren't good. They were great. So he transferred to Children's Hospital of Orange County. And from there, I started learning all the statistics and the facts. And they educated me in how Black women die during childbirth more than any other ethnicity. They let me know that I was just for being Black by myself, just for being Black in itself, you're at a higher risk of having a preemie. Like nobody even tells you this stuff. Like I didn't know that. I, I didn't know. And so from there, I just made the best of that experience. I talked to everybody I could, made friends with everybody I could from security guards to the coffee, the coffee people, they all knew me. And so um, I was trying to, you know, learn everything I could about the NICU experience and what does that mean and how long, and they said, you got a long road ahead of you. I mean, basically you're just be watching your baby grow instead of inside of you, outside of you. And so if you were only 25 weeks, you got to get at least to 40. And then from there, he's probably going to most likely stay another month or two. And so went to that experience and there was lots of ups and downs. At one point he got an infection and um, they called me the way they do things sometimes really sucks. I show up, you know, and they're like, Hey, we're going to have you talk to an infectious disease doctor. I'm like, okay. And they're like, yeah, he had a IV that possibly um, infiltrated and caused him to get a fungal infection. And we don't know if it's fatal yet. We're going to do a sepsis test and we'll let you know in three days. I said, what? Three days? What the? Yeah, scared the hell out of me. Turns out it's not fatal. Um, but the fungal ball will most likely remain, but they're going to do something, give them antibiotics and different things to try to shrink it. But he ended up having like a fungal infection. They had like a whole meeting to apologize and say, they don't know how it happened. I'm like, okay, y'all supposed to be level four. Y'all say y'all the best of the best. I'm trusting you people. And so, uh, they're like, no, we, we really, we don't know how this happened and we apologized and, and things like that. Um, and then, um, my son, it took him a while to get off from the, you know, his lungs were really damaged because a lot of preemie parents have the opportunity to get the shot 
for their lungs and things like that. I didn't have any of that because I had birth, given birth to him at home. I forgot to mention because I gave birth to him at home, the hospital couldn't give me a birth certificate. So I had to go to the social security office and explain I had a home birth and get it done a whole other way. So weird. They would sign that I did give birth, but they wouldn't go over all the process. And then it was like when Trump and all these special laws were in place about immigration. So they were like really strict. I had to prove that I even had the baby. I had to go actually three times. They even made me come back and bring the hospital bracelet because I had to really show birth proof that I gave birth. I got a note from the social worker, a note from the doctor and the medical bracelet is what finally gave them the authority to give me a baby's birth certificate, which was ridiculous. They're like, with immigration laws, you know, people could say anything. <laughs> I said, really? My baby is still in the hospital. Do you want to see a picture? But yeah, I had to jump through hoops to get a birth certificate, which is really crazy. And social security card. Um, so back to um, Chalk. And at one point, he's in the hospital and I'm settling in at this point. I'm really comfortable with my primary nurse. And then they're like, um, I don't know about his health getting better. I think it might be easier if you thought about getting a trach. And I was like, I know about trachs. I actually have a family member whose child had a trach. And they were like, yeah, um, what he's been, you know, on the ventilator for so long. We don't know if there's like damage, you know, vocal cords or anything. So we're going to do a procedure to see what the inside looks like and see if he's trach worthy. Um, because if he is, there's a benefit. He can go home sooner. I'm like, I'm already comfortable here. I'm not in a rush. <laughs> it's okay. I know there's extra work that comes with trach. You cannot sell me on that, but we could do the procedure to look at his vocal cords. So they brought in this man, um, a really great surgeon. Um, he was like a Sikh. So he had a big turban on and he was like, ma'am, I'm here for you. And and I was like, don't just, I said, and they said, if they open up and they see damaged vocal cords, they'll go ahead and trach them right away. But they don't, they won't. And I was like, okay, I love that deal. Um, so they did that procedure and my husband and I were in the waiting room and they come in and said, oh, his vocal cords are fine. Actually, they were really good. He could actually be a singer. I said, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. So found out he didn't need the trach. And then from there, uh, just for having the discussion on the trach, they moved us from the small baby unit upstairs to uh, the fourth floor, which is another older version of the NICU. So then uh, there, I was like, I want to sign up for everything you guys got going on here. I want all the, you know, is there a study? <laughs> is there something you guys are doing for, you know, children that are in the NICU? What kind of programs do you have? And I got my baby into um, music therapy. Um, I got him in a Chinese medicine. Uh, they did a thing to test Chinese medicine where a lady would come in and do like uh, meditation and, and healing over the babies. And then I started playing bilateral beats. I don't know if you've heard of those bilateral beats from, uh, there's YouTube videos of bilateral beats. And I was, there's one that says tissue rejuvenation. And so I would play those as he would sleep. And it was like relaxing and calming. And the people thought, oh, you got some relaxing music going on. They didn't know, but it was really like <laughs> rejuvenation, tissue healing 
bilateral beats. And when I commented, I said, I'm sitting here with my baby. He has chronic lung disease in the NICU and I'm praying for healing. And like, like 10,000 people liked it and said, we're praying for you. And I don't know what happened, but miracles do happen because from there, it's like we were discussing a trach to him, you know, going down to from um, high flow to regular oxygen. And we got to the point where they're saying he doesn't need to go home. Um, Actually, he can go home without we're going to take trach off the table. And he just can go home on oxygen. And he was finishing his bottles and we were home free. And about two days before my birthday, we were discharged and I was so excited. And this is when COVID-19 was starting. So we thought we were home free, home safe. And then about a month later, ended up in the PICU for 30 days. And I did hear that this is common. And um, the NICU and the PICU were two completely different experiences, right? The PICU, um, it had a lot of like brand, like literally an episode of Grey's Anatomy. All these young first-time doctors are doing their learning credentials and things like that. And in the NICU, you have your main doctors that follow you the whole way, your main nurse. And then in the PICU, it rotates different doctors every three days. And then... um, we don't know what happened. They didn't know what it was actually. He just basically, at one point they thought he had pneumonia from like milk being in his lungs. They didn't know what it was. So they basically just, you know, did a NG tube again. And in that 30 days, he lost his ability to suck, swallow and feed him, you know, do the bottles regularly. And so um, from there we got told, you know, we're going to have to do feeding therapy and have you see GI and um, with addition to your other therapies. And we were just happy to have him home, but we ended up doing, you know, uh, GI for his NG and we kept that NG in um, the way my hospital worked. Cause you know, kids, as they get bigger, they can pull them out. And so we had that NG too for about six months and we were doing feeding therapy. And eventually, um, he got to the point where he was big enough to do that. He would pull it out and we'd go to the emergency room and have it put it back in. And then I was like, oh, we gonna get this food together. So we would just practice the bottles on our own. At one point, I, I do not recommend this. I just said, he don't need it no more and I'm not putting it back in. And so we went to the doctor's pulmonology appointment and I was like, and they were like, oh, we don't have an NG tube anymore. Like, yeah, he doesn't need it. They're like, oh, the GI signed you off. I was like, no. <laughs> they're like, oh, well, you have to get that cleared first. I said, okay, we'll get that cleared, but I'm not putting it back in. And so make a long story short, they're like, okay, go ahead advocating for your child. And I was like, thank you. And so he ended up not needing the NG tube and being able to take food by math, by mouth. Um, but he had the NG tube for about seven, eight months. And eventually he weaned off of oxygen and passed his sleep study he passed a swallow study and now we're just in therapy land where we have, you know, um, OT, PT and infant stim and he's almost three. So we're going to have that discussion about him going to preschool, but basically a long roller coaster experience of parenthood. But in the end, I definitely would say uh, I never knew how strong I could be and how strong babies are. 
like they are so resilient. I mean, babies are just so strong. And that's my story. What do you think helped you survive that initial NICU stay and then the PICU stay? So NICU stay, I will say everybody was so welcoming and warm. Um, I didn't even know what a chaplain was. And now I think about it, like chaplains are there for death. At the- <laughs> I know that. It's really introducing themselves and I'm like, hey, Michael, hey, you know, father or whatever. And, um, and then I'm thinking, wait a minute, I hope they're, Oh no, but I said, Oh, you're, are you a prayer warrior? I'm like trying to talk to these people. Cause I can use prayer, you know? And, um, I definitely think the warmness and openness and kindness from everybody that's been through us, like even our social workers and, um, they have social worker, they have, you know, what's that called child life where they would bring toys for the babies. Um, they have people that really say, Hey, if you just need an ear or somebody to talk to I'm here for you. And they even had a lady that I work with now, um, as part of this parent support group that would like invite me to do things like, Hey, let's make a sign for your baby's bed. Or, um, they would invite us to like pie pie. They had a room where they have pie or food. And I really made the NICU, um, bed and everything like my own I would bring in sheets <laughs> I bring in my own customized sheets I would his name on it that had you know bible scriptures I really just made it like a second home and I I think that definitely helped me and then the also the hospital had cameras over the beds mm. so if I could not come in for some reason I could always just look at the camera and see my baby sleeping peacefully and that's what really helped there was a point where I got bit by a mosquito and I had this huge, uh, it got like sepsis. Something happened where it was like infected <laughs> and my whole arm swelled up and they're like, you cannot go see your baby. You need to rest and take antibiotics and your baby's going to be just fine, you know? And at the time two parents can go. So that was fine. And our family members, but then in you, only one parent could go. Um, it was a whole different experience, but in the NICU, it was great because family could come that helped too. But, um, I think the kindness and warmth that I got from people and my coworkers who I forgot to mention, um, when I ended up giving birth, I sent an email, like I went into birth early and I won't be there for a while. And people wrote me back, like you were pregnant. I said, I had a belly people. You didn't see my belly. Like I thought you were chubby. I said, really? Is that the time? Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So they threw me this very big baby shower. So I ended up going back to work because my son was in the hospital for so long. I went back to work and just went at nighttime. So that way I could save all my maternity hours because, you know, and it worked out because I, I, did this in 2020 when he got out of the hospital and everything was 2020 and then COVID happened. I haven't had to go back in the office since. Oh, Um, so yeah. So I haven't seen the people I originally worked with. I ended up switching jobs and everything um, in my company, but yeah. So, but they do me a very nice baby shower. So kindness and warmth community. Yeah. 
yeah. creating a second home, cameras. When my daughter was inpatient, I, we both, uh, audience, I've talked to Cynthia a little bit and we both watched this show called RuPaul's Drag Race. When my daughter was there, I used to watch I watched season 11 of the show and then I would watch like these after shows and um, listen to podcasts and not many people mention pop culture things having got them through, but I know that you as a lover of pop culture might have an answer to that. Did you have anything pop? culture? Yeah. Here's the funny thing. Me and the, my baby's nurse was this nurse named Ashley. And we would talk about the same TV shows and different things. I think we were watching, what were we watching at the time? We talk about Drag Race. We talk about other shows. But here's the funny thing. We had the same shows in common. Like, did you watch this on Netflix? Did you binge watch this? And she's like, yeah, what did you think? And it turns out when I was getting the flu shot, we had the same exact birthday. So she has the same personality as me. That's why we had all these things in common. Because one time I (laughs) went to a meeting and I had the pink dressing room from RuPaul's Drag Race as my background. And some of my friends were like, what is that? I said, um, you don't know about RuPaul, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, they, didn't even, they didn't even know what that was, but she got me. And so having that friend there to talk was really helpful. And yeah, watching TV shows, because really my baby would be asleep, right? So I would just sit there or we would do kangaroo time and I would watch something. And I can't think of the shows at the time, but it was a lot of discussion about what did you watch? Yeah. It probably was All Stars or something. Because it was, what month was it? He was born in August and he stayed until February of that next year. So I don't remember, but we would watch shows and talk about them. And something on Netflix, I got to think, I don't think it, it might have been. No, it was after Tiger King, but Tiger King was a big subject for people. I just remember talking about that craziness. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Pop culture can create a lot of levity in a really difficult time. And yeah. so I just, I'm always curious if anyone was like listening to music or watching certain movies or TV shows during the binaural beats. And I recommended it. I said it one time, a lady online, play those binaural beats uh, for your child. And I even did it. Like I just had food poisoning this weekend and I put binaural beats, food poisoning. And there was like a healing musical tone for food poisoning oh like sound healing is it on youtube yeah on youtube YouTube? yeah Ah. put binaural any subject you think of i put tissue rejuvenation um and yeah really powerful stuff okay yeah i'm definitely gonna look into that yeah you mentioned when you first had your babe the honeymoon phase that the the talk that was given to you about the honeymoon phase. I've heard a lot of preemie parents talk about that discussion was framing it as a honeymoon phase, something that was helpful to prepare you for your journey, or was it something that created more fear for you? Definitely more fear. And the way they say it, like he's doing good right now, but we will see. It's like, really? That is not helpful. And I know they're science people. And then from there, that was one discussion. And another co- person comes in and says, let's talk about milk. So it was like, you're getting thrown in all these stats and figures and then milk and you're like, oh, you know, if you do this, you know, pumping, that's like something that can really help your baby. So you're just getting all this information thrown at you. And um, pumping, I found, of course, I told you, you know, that's what's going to really help save your baby's life. So I, I definitely took up to that and, you know, pumped every three hours, had a freezer full. I was like most of the preemie parents, we take that seriously, right? Like 
you know, I can't hold you, but I'll be damned if you don't get my milk, right? You're like, you're gonna get my milk. Um, so I definitely did that. But yeah, I think the doctors have good intentions, but that's why there's the need for the community and finding, you know, help on YouTube or finding help on, um, you know, social media is so helpful because the parents can, cause they've been through it. They're the veterans they know. And doctors can be so harsh that, that they don't have that sensitive element when they're explaining things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. What would you say to a parent, a mom who's preparing for an extended NICU stay? I will say, don't be in a rush and just dive in and take out a notepad to take notes on anything you have questions on. And it seems scary right now, but there is a light on the other side of this. And when that happens, you're going to come out as a much stronger parent. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, my sister got four kids. How come she never... Not me. She never experienced like this. Or, you know, my brother has kids and I didn't know anybody in my own immediate circle that's had this experience. Or when I did meet somebody that had a premium, like, oh, yeah, my baby's in the NICU for five days. And you're like, that's quite a different experience. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I, I had to make bless it my you. second home. I was right. there for months and months. <laughs> right. Bless you. So going on NICU, like there's a Michael Premi Facebook group. And that was super helpful. And I will tell you, trigger warning is like, I remember seeing like people that I could relate to like, oh, there's a little, you know, little black girl like like me and she had a preemie too. And then, you know, infant loss and seeing things like that is the reality. Like, I think it's really easy to be in your own bubble. But when you do go on to these online resources, you're going to see, you know, everybody's story does not happen the same. So you can only be encouraging and be supportive, but that does open your world up to reality that, you know, there is a, uh, the stats suck, you know, where they're at right now. And uh, we did have the March of Dimes people come and do a baby shower and that really helped our spirits. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point about being exposed to infant loss through Facebook groups. That's also something that I don't hear talked about very often with folks that have had kids in the NICU for a long time is that if you're in the NICU for a long time, you're also exposed to trauma around you. Like, I'm not sure if that was your experience, but I've heard, you know, the child might be there one day and then not there the next day. And you're, or you might even see a code situation or bagging happen. And there's not really much help or support for the families that are watching this peripherally and that are stacking this on top of the trauma that they already have experienced. Right. But um, it's something we have to pay attention to. Yeah. Like at one point we had our own room and I didn't realize it because he was super sick. And then when they get better, they put them in pods where you share a room with other babies, you know, and um, you know, that's where you get to know some of the other parents and, you know, hearing some of their stories and you count your blessings about, you know, your experience and things that you've had. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I really like the pod situation because like you said, those kind of things happen or people will have signs that say no cuddlers and they're not there with their baby. And you're like, you want to leave your baby just sitting here or, 
you know, you start feeling more involved or a little nosy and you feel like, you know, let me go over to that baby. You know, the parents ain't been here all day. You know, you, you start feeling like you want to help other kids too on top of your own child. So it's really hard experience having the pod situation. Yeah, it can be draining. For me, I love the pods because I'm a really social person. And so like seeing all the other moms and families, it became like a little tribe, a little community. Uh, My daughter is a trait kiddo and they put all the trait kids by windows and so that they could have the sunshine since they were going to be there for a long time. And so we had what we called trach row and we just like all the moms knew each other and we'd watch out for each other's kids. But that is a different experience than being in a room by yourself. By yourself. Yeah. Your family could come. You're by yourself. You're in your own bubble and you're only into your own situation. And I had healing music plan. <laughs> they probably were thinking this girl, she's making herself at home for real. <laughs> <laughs> But I've seen people that have pictures up and frames like uh, one of our friends that his Nikki roommate had like family pictures all around the baby's bed. And our hospital did things like they would do Halloween costumes. They brought in Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of things to help parents, um, you know, get through it. Yeah. Yeah. So the experience you mentioned with having your child at home is was pretty significant. I'm curious, what has your healing journey been like um, on just an emotional and mental level from that birth experience up until now? Yeah, well, I had to learn. Uh, well, I like I took me literally like three days. So I thought I could just <laughs> let it all out because I feel like I was comforting so many other people from my husband, you know, Mm -hmm. that, but, uh, and then my friend surprised me. I think my healing experience was just really just looking back and counting my blessings. Like after it was all said and done, I can look back and say, damn, I went through some stuff and I have come out stronger and it's going to take a lot to throw me off of like at work situations, things that would irritate me or bother most people is like, that's nothing. I actually go to the dentist and they're like, are you okay? Do you feel that? And we're like, no, they're like, dang, you're the best patient you ever, we've ever had. I said, this is nothing. I had a NICU baby. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I am extra strong. Yes. I'm strong. Okay. Yeah. Like I never knew how strong I was. And uh, I think that speaks to itself. Cause I was a really sensitive person growing up, like any kind of criticism, <laughs> I'll try better. And now I'm just like, I don't care. This is or like petty conversations, petty arguments. Like I can't even watch the reality shows where they fight and stuff like that anymore. Like the love and hip hops and the, like they just have the bad boys club just started. No, no, I can't do Jocelyn. I can't do none of those kind of shows. Yeah, I can't. I can't do any of that. Like I don't have the patience. I don't, I don't. But can you do Potomac? Well, those are classier fighters. Okay, good. <laughs> but you know, I think my my strength has helped me heal that I could really just say I can laugh at things and things that would bother most people don't phase me. I think it really has made me stronger. Oh. But yeah, no Zeus network. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, Do you Cynthia, watch those? What the Zeus network? Zeus network. No, the only thing I watch is Potomac 
Okay, so I, Drag Race is in Potomac are my two reality shows. I swore I'd never watch a Housewives franchise. And then last year, someone was like, oh, you should try it. And I got into Potomac and have not looked back. Like around Christmas season, I was trying to buy candles online, hats, <laughs> like trying to support the gals. I'm 100% in and I have no apologies about it. But that's those are my two reality shows. Reality shows. I do watch uh, Orange County just because Orange County's right here. Uh, but yeah, too funny. Uh, I can't do too much of those. But yeah, I, I've really gotten super strong and unscathed. I will say that mm-hmm. my after, like it takes a lot to upset me. Yeah. That's yeah. Like, it'll thicken your skin for sure. Heck yeah. For like sure. <laughs> I've been in the scary situations. Like all of this is minor. Yeah. So that leads us perfectly into the last question. Storytelling acts as a means of healing because it allows you to shift positions. Instead of your NICU story being something that happened to you, you get to own the story and decide what the lasting memory will be. So you mentioned several things that you want to be the lasting memory, but before we leave, I wanted to check in and see if there was any other big concept that you wanted to take with you as the lasting memory of your story. Yeah. So there's a, um, there's a book I just looked at. It's about change is actually a transition and, um, it goes into three steps of the transition and which is like ending, losing and letting go. And definitely in that experience, you let go of the, what you had in your mind about pregnancy and the birth experience, like, Oh, cut the cord. Like I had, you know, what you see in movies, which I never got to do. I had to let that image go. And then you go into the neutral zone where you start settling in, but you're not completely changed by the experience. And then there's the three coming out of that transition and making a new beginning. And so I would just say my lasting uh, is that this is a transition in parenthood and I'm going to get through it and go through all these stages and we're going to come out. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, Cynthia, thank you for joining me today. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me, Erica. This has been so fun.